Lord, we bless you this morning. We ask that you speak fresh to us. Grant unto us divine presence. In the moments we have to share, share enough of yourself with us that we leave here all the better. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, beautiful, 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 beautiful. Just I praise in God. I feel God's presence in this place. We've had a great worship. Thank you all for participating online. Those are the saints that are leading the worship in worship. Thank you so much, Elder Martin and uh, our dear Minister Nolan for praying. It's a beautiful day in the house of the Lord and in your house right now. In the next 21 minutes, I want to give you a word from the Lord. So stay with me, stay tight. We're going to ride this fast. But I want to lift up this word we read in your hearing in Job. And it's the word we've been looking at, Job 42. And since I'm going to read so much of it, I don't need to read a lot of it in this part now. So let me just, let me just do this. I want to read this. I want to read verse, Job 42, verse 10. And uh, I just want to read a few lines there from verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. That's from the New King James Version. Again, we're talking from this theme, living in the aftermath of trauma living in the aftermath of trauma. Out of all things that have ever happened in this wonderful state of ours, the state of Connecticut, we've had some horrific things happen, including the falling of the Mianus River Bridge. We've had people who have lost their lives to gun violence. We've had people who lost their lives to stabbings. We've had people who have been in tragic accidents. And this state has been rocked by things that have happened. But nothing rocked the state of Connecticut and I would say the country like what happened at Sandy Hook Elementary School. At Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut, when a young man walked in and he killed 26 people, including 20 children between the ages of six and seven years old. And in the group that he killed, he killed six adult staff members. Early in that day, that, that young man, troubled as he was, Adam Lanza, had killed even his own mother in their Newtown home. As first responders came in, he took his own life. Many lives were lost on that day, but, but it was not just the lives lost in the building which is horrific, which was horrific, but it is the continuing legacy that goes with trauma. People lost lives, and people have to move and live. They closed the school down immediately. They went into all kinds of new plans on how to do and what to make out and what would be next. And as, as many of you know, President Obama was in office at that time, and he, he wrapped himself around families. He tried to be present, and, and, and you would have thought that 
his administration with all that he was trying to do could get together and help us to get new laws against against guns, particularly the, the these automatic weapons that are used primarily for taking lives. And 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 and, and during that period of time, um, there's nobody can ever explain it like a parent. And one of the reasons why it comes up now even stronger is because. These parents have been reliving this. You see, on that day, Jimmy Green, a famous saxophonist, his lovely wife, Nelba Marquez Green, they, they, they were there in spirit and have been there ever since because on that day in that building, their daughter, Anna Grace, was among those children. She died. Her brother has grown up without his sister. A mother and father have grown up without their baby girl. And they have fought with all of their might to try to help the world to understand why gun violence is so horrific and why these weapons of, of really mass destruction don't need to be in the hands of civilians without reason. They have not tried to take away the Second Amendment. What they've tried to say is that there has to be another way to look at it, the people's mental health and state of their mental welfare before they pick up a gun that could take lives so quickly with a touch of a trigger. My dear sister Nelba, she sent out a text message to those who were protesting after George Floyd's murder. And she said in her text message, and I'm not quoting it directly, but she says, don't stop. And what she was talking about was the fact that they felt like they might have stopped pressing people too quickly. They thought that the goodwill of people because they saw the harm and destruction done would make people in good conscience just say, let's do better as a nation. Let's be different. Let's go ahead and get some proper laws in. We're not trying to end the Second Amendment. We're trying to modify so that it can be done properly. They, they thought, and so her message in a text to other people who are marching now for social justice is don't stop because if you stop, people will forget. People will forget what you've been through. They'll forget your trial. But I don't just bring them up because of their struggle. I bring them up because of how they've handled it. Because this couple has, has handled the most horrific crisis with the grace that only God can give with the grace that only people who have had a strong faith prior to something going wrong can walk in, they've handled it well. One of the ways in which Jimmy was able to handle and channel his grief was to compose an album called Beautiful Life, which he dedicated to his daughter, Anna Grace. That album received two Grammy nominations. It, it was his expression of, 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 of harmonic beauty that, that could speak to his emotional pain, but also speak to the hopefulness of the future for a better place. And, 
and, and I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought this morning, let me just play a short audio video clip so you can hear Jimmy talk about this for himself. Play the video clip. Finally, we will never forget the horror of Newtown and one little girl among the many lost, her beautiful voice not forgotten. Ready and go. Perhaps you remember the voice of Anna Marquez Green. Just six years old when she was killed in her classroom at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown. Anna was the daughter of jazz saxophonist Jimmy Green. Anna loved to live. Uh, she was a beautiful little girl. Above all, she was a very generous and loving child. Jimmy turned to his music to deal with his grief. Music is a language in and of itself. And it's a language for me uh, that kind of picks up where words leave off. Writing a song called Anna's Way. Had a way about her. Eventually recording an album, Beautiful Life, to honor Anna's life. With help from more than 40 musicians and technicians who volunteered their time. They said, you know, we want to donate 100% donate uh, the production of a recording at whatever time you feel that you're able to do it. Tonight, that album now nominated for two Grammys. If Anna's life uh, had been longer, she would have found herself on records because she had a beautiful voice. She loved to perform. Um, she, she loved who she was. She was uh, um, a very proud uh, little girl. Now hoping she'd be proud of dad. grief, he took the emotional pain, and he brought that together with his grift and talent, and with what had to be a new perspective on the world, a different perspective, a way of looking at the world that you can only look at it when you've looked at it through pain. He came at it and he said, I need to move on, but I can't move on by myself. I've got to bring this with me. I've got to express myself. I've got to say something about both my past and my future. I need to say a word. I need to look at life. And I do believe that in these last few verses of Job, that Job displays a fresh perspective on life post-trauma. I think Job gives us a, a fresh perspective, and he does it in three very significant ways. And in the next few moments, I want to offer these to you because I think these are going to be part of what we will come out with after this pandemic is over. I think some of you are going to come out of with this after you get through what you're going through in your personal life, after you get through dealing with the heartbreak and heartache of what has happened. Some of you are going to come out, and I pray God gives you fresh perspective. 
Somebody listening to me right now on this Breast Cancer Awareness Month, yes, you, you, you went and the, they had to go ahead and do surgery and they left your body scarred and maybe you've had to make some adjustments. Maybe you went and you were able to get a, an implant. Maybe you decided not to have an implant and you, you're going to wear the, what you, where you are. It doesn't matter. You, you're going to live with this thing and you're going to know that it doesn't matter. You're still beautiful, that your body does not define you, that that scar doesn't define you somebody listening to me right now you've been through some trauma you've lost loved ones and friends and that that were dear to your heart and you thought you couldn't make it but I come to tell you today you can make it you're going to make it God is with you somebody's job just got turned upside down and you don't know if you have a job to go back to when this pandemic is over and when everything is lifted but I want you to know you are going to make it don't give up on life don't give up on your Yourself. Don't give up on the God that loves you. The God that loves you will sustain you even in the midst of what you've been through and what you're going through. I know it's tough right now. I know your mind starts playing tricks on you like you can't make it. But I want to give you these three things from Job. The first of which I believe is Job has an acceptance of life. And acceptance of life. Sometimes you got to accept life just like it is. You know, sometimes you can't change certain things, you just got to accept it. There's an acceptance of life. I, I believe Job is sort of like, here is where I am, I accept my lot. Now I have two choices surrender or survival. Here's where I am. I accept my lot. Now I have two choices, surrender or survival. I got to make a decision. Am I going to give up and surrender or am I going to survive? And I believe Job's response is, I choose survival. And in choosing survival, I choose life. I choose life. Choose life. How, how do I know that? How do I know that? How do I know Job chose life? How do I know he chose life? Look at the text. I'm reading it out of the Message Bible. It says, after Job interceded for his friends, New King James says, prayed for them. God restored his fortune and then doubled it. King James said he gave twice more. All his brothers and sisters and friends came to his house and celebrated. They told him how sorry they were and consoled him for all the trouble God had brought upon him. Each of them bought generous housewarming gifts. Ah. Okay. Maybe you didn't see it right there. Let me, let me get you in between the lines. Here it is. Notice what's not in the text. There's no more complaining. That was the first 39 chapters. There's no more cringing. He accepts the friends that talked about him and even prayed for them. I'm through complaining. I'm through crying. I'm through cringing in a corner. I accept my, my friends that, that were difficult to be around, and I'm even going to pray for them. 
there's a change in his behavior. There's a change in his attitude. He has accepted this is where I am. Listen, listen. He accepts even their consoling. He accepts their consoling. The Bible says that they came over and they not only celebrated, but they consoled him. He allowed them to, to console him, to, to speak well to him, to speak into his spirit. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. I'm going to bless somebody right now. You quit pushing people away that want to help you when you're in the middle of a mess. You quit pushing people away that want to just tell you, I love you and I'm praying for you. You quit running from the blessing because sometimes people just need, God provides them to you as a part of the healing for you. God put people around Job so that he could heal his heart and he received the consoling. No, you don't want to get dependent on it. You don't want to go begging for it and looking for it. But, but if it's available, receive it. Listen, he accepts the benevolent gifts of friends and family with gratitude and not an attitude. They came over and bought gifts. They bought, the, the, the message Bible calls them housewarming gifts. The, the other testament, the other translation doesn't call them housewarming gifts. It calls them, they, they, they gave him things. They gave him stuff, money resources. He accepted it with gratitude and not an attitude. Let me, let me help somebody right here. If God wants somebody to bless you, just say thank you. Just say thank you. Understand, understand, understand. At some point, as God is trying to move you through your grief and into your next season, you, no, I, you, you're not going to get over it. You're going to learn to live with it. As God's trying to move you through your grief into your next season, you're not going to get over it. You're going to learn to live with it. Yes, I repeated it because I want you to get in your spirit. You have to know that you have to learn how to accept what God allows. And that doesn't just mean the trouble. That also means the trust. It also means the blessing. It also means the gifts. Some of us have been known to push away people that could bless us because we walked in shame instead of saying thank you. We got an attitude. I don't know why they got to help me. I should be helping them. Well, this is your turn. Next time, don't you sit on the sideline. Remember how blessed it was to you and you bless somebody else. Don't just be a receiver of benevolence. You be an extender of benevolence so that you can be the hand of God the way they're being the hand of God for you now. God has no hands but your hands. God has no way of blessing them but through you. Oh, I'm preaching today. Woo. Listen, listen. I got to move on. got to move on. The second lesson Job gets, Job has here, is an appreciation of life. He accepts life, but then he, he enters into a point of appreciation of life. I, I accept it, but now I need to appreciate it. Uh, I feel like, I feel God's trying to help us here. 
if you, if you notice now, notice now the Bible says that God blessed him. And when God blessed him, he doubled his stuff. He gave him double. He gave him twice as much, the other testament says. That's kind of strange when you look at the text closely. Because the text also says they give all that stuff he got to all those animals in verse 12 and 13. And then we get down here, and God, he also had seven sons and three daughters. Wait a minute. He had seven sons and three daughters in the first chapter. So if God doubling everything, why didn't he double that? Y'all, I'm trying to preach it. Listen, listen. Couple, I'm just working through a couple of problems in the text. Second problem in the text, in the first chapter, none of the children are named. In this chapter, only the daughters are named. I know you probably didn't see that, which is odd. If anything, most times they name the sons and not the daughters. Huh. I, I, I put a note in there because when I was studying, I said, what's up with that? I only got a couple more minutes. I can't really work it like I have it in my script. Listen, listen. God doubled his possessions, but not the size of his family. Now, 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 presumably it's because seven sons was already considered an ideal number and three daughters was a sign of completeness or divine approval if one were to use biblical numerology. Mm. But, but really the, the prevailing idea seems to be that God didn't restore Job to his previous condition but he blessed him abundantly beyond what he had experienced in his misfortune. You see, God was going to do something for him in a different way. God was going to bless Job so that, so that God would allow his, his new joy to be found in the expression of these children. That, 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 that he would see God's handiwork. You know, it's sort of like what happens in Joseph's story. Those New Testament scholars go back to Genesis chapter 41, verse 50. And in Genesis chapter 41, verse 50, is Joseph is there and he's in a strange land and God begins to bless his life. Joseph begins to name his children after the blessings God is bestowing upon him. So look at what he said. Joseph had two sons born to him before the years of the famine. Asenah, daughter of Potiphar, the priest on own, was their mother. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, which means forget, saying, God made me forget all my hardships and my, and my parental home. He named the second son Ephraim, which means double prosperity, saying, God has prospered me in the land of my sorrow. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm out of time, but I got to keep this word rolling here. What, 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 what happens here in the book of Job is that Job names his daughters because of the restoration that God has given him. Listen, the daughters' names are significant of his restored prosperity. 
they become a sign of his restored prosperity. I, I don't have time to get it all out. I'm going to go over time. So hold on for me just a moment here. The first one he named Gemma. Now, now, now we can call her dove, but it actually means dayum or daylight. And it should mean after his night of calamity. In other words, God used the name Gemma, daylight, after his night of calamity. But Morris said, duh, what God says is, look, after all you've been through, there's light after the darkness. Job had now emerged from the night of affliction, and that light now shines upon his life, y'all. I'm about to preach in here. I'm feeling something, y'all. I'm feeling some kind of way. Let me see if I can work it in. Yeah, listen, the light has now shined. I, I, that, that, my ancestors used to sing that song, shine on me. Let the light from the lighthouse now shine on me. I, I got to go. The second one he named Kizia, which is, which is the same as Kizia, an aromic, an aromic herb. If you read in Psalm 45, 8, what, what God says is, look, by this name, instead of his offensive breath and the ulcers that smelled, God gave him a sweet fragrance in his new daughter. God, God, God gave him a sweet fragrance. I, I, got, I got to preach it. Listen. The last one he named Karen, and that name Karen Hapok, which means horn of stibulum. It's a paint with which females dyed their eyelids in contrast. It, 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 and what God was, I, I, you know, Faust probably has it on this one. Listen, the, the horn here represents the fact that, look, God is doing something in your life. You have been defiled in the dust, and now God is giving you beauty in the daughters that he put into your life. I'm about to close this thing. Listen, God has given me beauty for ashes. My ashes are still there, but God will give me beauty for my ashes. What burnt up is burnt up. What's over is over. But God still gives beauty for ashes. The real reason may be that Job realized God had turned mourning into gladness. Listen, Isaiah 61 and 3 says, look, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. At some point, God is going to replace your mourning with some gladness. At some point, God's going to take the stench away that was in your nostrils and even in your mouth and replace it with a sweet-smelling fragrance. At some point, God's going to reveal God's own self and replace the sorrow with his own divine peace. At some point, God's going to help you get through it. Don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. You will. Get, let, me, let me help you. The last point in here, the last point in here is number three. Job also got a new perspective, and he had a new attitude toward life. 
Yeah, Patty LaBelle was right. Sometimes God has to give you a new attitude. And somebody in here, you need to realize that your attitude is going the way of your sorrows. And you've been walking around too messed up, too sad. It's time you get ready because God wants you to have a new attitude here. Here, Job, Job comes out of this situation. And if you notice something, you, you, might, you might not see it. At the end of verse 15 in the Message Bible, it says, it says, there was not a woman in that country as beautiful as Job's daughters. All right. Their father treated them as equals with their brothers, providing them the same inheritance. Listen, he treated his daughters like his sons. Equality was his new mantra. I wait. You got to let that sink in. He treated his daughters like his sons. Equality was his new mantra. Let me, let me take this home. I'm over time. I know I am. Look here. I can hear somebody saying, Job, you can't leave them equally the same inheritance. Job, Job you, you can't leave them equally the same inheritance. Job, you can't do that. Uh, and, and can't you hear somebody? Pe people will talk about you. Let me help you here. People will talk about you because they don't know and they don't understand what you've been through. They're, people will talk about you because they don't understand what, you, what you've been through. Because when you've been through some stuff, it changes how you look at stuff. People will talk about you when they don't know what you've been through. Let me help somebody here. I don't look like what I've been through. Oh, I'm walking down somebody's street right now. Folk look at you right now. They never even knew that you had cancer and survived. They don't even know what you've been through. They don't know the parts you've already had removed from your body. They have no idea your house was ever foreclosed on because you're living in a pretty house now. They have no idea you were broke at one point because you got money now. You don't look like what you've been through. They have no idea what happened in the first relationship because you've been such a good marriage right now. They don't know what you've been through because you don't look like what you've been through. They don't know the tears you've cried. They don't know the nights you stayed up. They don't know how long you fasted and prayed because you don't look like what you've been through. Joe, Joe probably said it like this. Uh, after all I've been through, do you think I care what people say? After all I've been through, do you think I care what people say? After all I've been through, do you think I care what people say? If they have been through what I've been through, their thinking on social norms would have been impacted as well. The way you think about stuff changes when you've been through it yourself. Uh. You, you need to know that God has a way of taking you through what you have to go through. And when you come through it, 
you can raise a new praise standard and you can raise it the way you want to raise it. Let me praise God and set a new standard in the land. This praise is based on what I've been through. This praise is based on my stuff. This praise is based on my tears. This praise is based on my crying at night. This praise is based on my walking the floor. Excuse me if I don't praise him like you praise him. Excuse me if I don't honor him like you honor him. I've been through too much not to praise him my own way. You can live with it. You may never get over it, but you can live with it. Don't give up on God, because he won't give up on you. He's able. He's able. He's able. God is able to do just what you left. Oh, he promised every, every, every promise. Oh, my God, don't give up. For he won't. He's able. Woo. God bless you, saints. I'm over time, but if you're listening to me today and you want to give your life to Jesus, Keep playing that y'all are blessing me with it. I want you to write me today. I want you to first to bow your head and then I want you to write me first bow your heads and ask the Lord to come in. Maybe you need to tell God, God, I need you to be with me. Cover my mind and my spirit with your blood. I receive you into my life. I accept you. Thank you, Lord. I receive you as my personal savior. Be with me even now, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to write me. Write me at churchatmen at shilohnl.org. I want you to write me. It's up there on the screen. Tell me you gave your life to Christ. Tell me you gave your life over to Jesus. I'm way past time, saints, so I'm going to rush through. You can call me at 860-443-6046, and I'll be glad to talk with you. We'll be glad to receive you. We'll, we love you. We want God to bless you. Our deacons and ministers will be able to minister to you. Saints, I need you to give, and I need those of you who God has compelled to be a part of this house, to join us in sustaining the house. We can't do it without you. The fact that you're not here populating the sanctuary doesn't mean that the expenses go down. Matter of fact, we're in this moment now where we need all the saints to do what God has led them to do. And those of you who are listening who are not part of fellowship, send an offering. Say, I want to bless the ministry that's blessing me. I love you. It's on the screen. Cash app. Givelify. You can mail it in to 1 Garvin Street, New London, Connecticut, or to P.O. Box 929, New London, Connecticut. This is Shiloh, New London.
I love you. Yeah, he's able. I gotta let you go. I know I gotta let you go.